Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. I want to continue, I want to pick up this uh, little bit of a series that we're in, and we just started it, and uh, simply God has given you a dream. So He hasn't left you alone with sort of to, to just kind of navigate your own life through this world. He's actually put a seed dream inside of you. It's not like a natural aspiration. It's not like Jonathan's ideas for my life and what I would like to do or like to become or where I'd like to locate or live. No, God is concerned about the geography where you're living, where you're at, the country that you're in. It's very important because it's tied into your destiny. The next thing is this, the dream that God has given you. He's put a dream inside of you. He's put a purpose. So when you got born again, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he actually began to put a, a, like an idea of what you could become like, an idea of what you to do on this earth. The exciting thing is this, is that God has given each and every one of us an assignment. You say, well, I'm 80 years of age. What a, no, there's an assignment. Caleb was about 81 years of age where he began to break into his destiny. It was amazing, the destination. So it works like this way, back on the stage here, it's this, God has given you a dream. We'll put it over here. He's given you a dream right here. But what He wants you to do, you're going to have to carry that dream. And that dream often is, uh, is elevation, it's favor, it's exposure, it's increased influence around your life. More lives are impacted. So that dream, He wants to catapult you and take you from this location or this state, spiritual state, way over to here. For example, for example, you might have come in quite broken. That's great. Broken in emotions and shut down and can't smile and can't laugh and there's stuff that's gone on in your world. So the dream that God has for you is He's going to release joy, liberty, freedom. He's going to restore things like trust. And so what He wants to do, He's going to bring you over to here. Then you walk many years in the trust, many years in the joy, many years in the strength. Okay, but same, it's the same with the dream. It's a little bit like the little girl that knows she's destined to be married. She's only eight years of age, but she wants to be married. Little girls think like that. Little boys think of being all blacks and Kiwis and things like that. But some girls, it's kind of like marriage is a thing, and she's going to get married. It's a destination, but she's too young for it. So she has to grow. She has to mature. This is the natural. It speaks of the spiritual as an illustration. She has to learn to grow. She has to understand responsibilities, domestics, uh, build her confidence, all sorts of things. And then she arrives one day and she's walking up that aisle. The dream is fulfilled. She loved that day. How about the little guy? The little guy that wants to be a star soccer player. Everybody sees it. Gone through a number of coaches. They all see the one thing, that that guy has got vision. He's amazing on the field. His skill sets are well beyond his years. Incredible, able to read the game and everybody looks to the leadership of that young guy. But he's only nine years of age and he's not fit to be in the, the all-whites yet or the New Zealand team or even the Cook Island team or soccer team, national squad. And, uh, but Mickey and the team, they begin to say, that young guy in those grades is absolutely amazing. He's destined for great things. But his body's not ready for it. He can't handle the stress and the anxiety and the pressures and the trainings and the demands, even losing games and maybe uh, maybe 
uh, he was part. He was part of the loss of a game. You know what I mean. And uh, so, so what it is, he's got to wait and go through the grades, go through the age, mental strength, emotional strength, physical strength. Well, one day he's representing the Cook Islands, and we're beating Tonga. Samoa and Samoa Felidi or beating New Zealand and uh, Australia and uh, Socceroos and um, so anyway so so we're seeing God has given you a dream hold tight to that dream and don't let it go the Bible talks about a vision without a vision a man perishes or without a vision a man ceases to dwell and uh, so you've got to have the vision that God has for you now you say I'm not sure what that vision is here's the key Number one key is press into God. You press into God and God will begin to ignite that dream. It'll grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Now God speaks to you specifically with His voice and speaks through the Word, we know. But God leads and He guides. He leads you. So He leads you. Remember? By still waters, He leads you. He directs you. And you think, well, I'm over here in Rarotong. I'm living over here now. I don't know how. It's part of the course. It's part of your destiny. It's a stepping stone for greatness. It's a step. You say, well, I've had busted relationships. God will use it. He will fix it up for you. He'll, he'll restore you. Say, well, I've done this and I'm ashamed for that. Let me tell you, it's going to be part of your testimony. It's going to be part of your journey. It hurt. Other people are hurt. But let me tell you, there's hope. Where there's life, there's hope. God will take the most broken vessels this world has. It's part of what He does. He's the great physician. You say, well, I feel really shamed and guilty, not even worthy of, of the kingdom of God and being saved, let alone have a dream. No, 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 no. Now we're going to sink our rejection or our insecurity, our pride somewhat, and embrace what He has done. He is the, he is, he's working on our lives. And so much sometimes, it's not so much about us, it's about us allowing Him to be God in our life, okay? So, so all the hurts, the pains, and the disappointments, and the rejections, the, uh, the, the being let down, all this sort of thing helps create and form the man and the woman that you're going to be later on, okay? Joseph's our man. Joseph's 17 years of age. Week before last, we talked about he had a dream. Shared it with his brothers who hated and despised him. Shared it another dream. Same dream, that he was going to be elevated up and his brothers, his parents, his family and community would be less than him. They hated him. And so I told you about the story, what happened. They actually tried to kill him. They were his half-brothers. And then they decided, let's not kill him. Let's divide up two uh, 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 silver coins each. We'll do it this way. And we'll dump him in a well. The well was dry. The Bible talks about a Joshua in a different passage, how scared he was and how freaked out his face was. And uh, what we see though is this, the dream was this, dream of 17 years of age. He didn't have the greatest character, he was actually quite bragging or proud, but God still gave him the dream. So you don't have to be perfect for God to give you a dream. He puts the dream in seed form and he begins to grow it. The dream was never really for people to be bowed down to him like the man, but that's how he interpreted it. That's how he saw it, and that's how he spoke it out. The dream was this, that one of these days he was going to be put in that well. He was going to go. He's going to be sold as a slave, and then he's going to be put into prison for 12 years for something he didn't done, injustice. And then he was going to come out. He was going to interpret a dream, and then he was going to give that dream to Pharaoh. Pharaoh ran the largest army or the biggest nation, military nation, the, most, the biggest, the Egyptian empire, empire of the world that day. And guess what? Joseph, the little Hebrew guy, 17 years of age that walked around with that pretty cool coat saying to his brothers hey man I got this dream and let me share this dream with you hey I'm going to actually be your boss God was knocking that out of him and then one day 
in his 30s, 12 years in prison, God elevates the guy and he's now the prime minister of Egypt. Incredible. I want to submit to you this. God takes us. He doesn't tempt us. We understand James talks about that in scripture, but he does test us. He will allow things. So the first test was the pride test. God needed to bash pride out of his life. Take it out. Take some surgery. Because I tell you what, if you've got pride in your destination here, you'll become controlling. Very controlling. Very, it's about us. It's about privileges and it's about what we are and everybody's like a plebeian. That's not how God operates. God loves every single person regardless of background, education, or expertise, everybody has intrinsic value. Regardless of nationality and culture, God loves the world passionately. Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of reading. I want you to follow me. How's this? We're going to go to, um, and this is going to be reading from the NLT. We're going to go into uh, Genesis. I want you to follow with me, Genesis 39. This is a true story. If you didn't know in Broadway and Hollywood and Las Vegas and stuff, that Joseph's story is done all over the world. It's actually a very, very famous story, but it's a true story. It's not just a story. It's a historical event recorded that actually took place. There was a guy called Joseph who did some time in prison for something he didn't do. He was accused of raping uh, a, a, a woman. We're going to see what happens. Okay, this is really important for us. So, um, so Genesis 39 verses 1. All right, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, he was on sold. Say, so, remember? He was put in a well by his brothers. Midianite crew was going past trading and they bought him as a slave. They go back into Egypt and they sell him and Potiphar picks him up. Uh, just so you understand about slavery, I don't know if you know this, but slavery, modern day slavery, is, uh, slavery today is getting a bigger revenues than drugs around the world. We think pee and cocaine and uh, um, heroin, all of that, it's big trade money. Child trafficking, sexual trafficking, adult trafficking is getting more money in the world than that. Currently right now, there is 42 and a half, around about 42 and a half million people who are, who are technically slaves today. Here's another area of slaving, is women taken into pornography, offered jobs around the world. You think, oh, is that 100 women or 1,000 women? No. It's in the millions. It's incredible. Pornography, that's when we look at pornography, we're actually supporting an industry that's actually taking advantage of our girls and our women around the world. And so sometimes it's seeing the iniquity and seeing the, the sin behind what we're doing. It's not just a, a glimpse and getting off on something like that. We're actually a contributor. We are contributing to a, a global machine that's going on. You've got maids, you've got women and men that are working for high-class people around the world in gated areas that are working not paid for it. It's very difficult when you see them to detect that that person is in bondage. Their passports have been taken off. It's actually quite a serious thing. 42 million is all the Pacific Islands, plus all of Australia, plus all of New Zealand. That's how many, plus, plus extra. That's currently right now in 2021, 42 million and a half people are enslaved. Now, your relative back then is Joshua. You're related to him if you're born again. The Bible talks in terms like that. He was actually taken advantage of and slave. So he's been sold twice. 
Sold twice. You with me? So let's get into this. I'm going to read it. And you can listen up and go with me. Verse 1, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, remember, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for, e, for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Number two, important. The Lord was with Joseph, however, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so as soon as it made Joseph his personal attendant, he uh, put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From that time on, verse 5, Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. I want to say this, that you'll be surprised at the work that you're working at. You may not be the boss, but sometimes there's a blessing on the company simply because you are there. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, his crops and his livestock flourished because Joseph's there. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what he needed to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She, verse 10, kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, uh, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do some work. She came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran from the house. Verse 13, when she saw that she was holding his cloak, and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave, this Jewish man here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Verse 16, she kept the cloak with her until her husband returned home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fall around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's testimony and said, okay, about, about how uh, Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisons were held, and there he stayed. Okay, we've got ourselves a bit of an issue. How many of you have ever been lied about and you felt you've never been able to be vindicated and tell your story? They say, Jesus, uh, they say Joseph is a little bit of a type for Jesus. There's a lot of principles, key principles there, a lot of time. Okay, now we're going to go through, and we're going to look at about five or six quick little points, and we're going to talk about this test here. The test, the first test, the week before last, was the test of pride. 
This test today is a test of purity. You'll be surprised. It could be pure motives, yes, but it's in the area of sexuality, pureness. It's very important that we walk in biblical purity. There's a whole lot of reasons why. There's a whole lot of reasons why this is going to be great for you and your children coming through. Let us read it. Okay. Uh, Genesis 39, verses 7. And Potiphar's wife began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. It's called lust. Often we say guys are lustful, but we've got to understand that we're living in a generation where, where there's uh, fatherless dynamics to homes and there's other things that have gone on. But we must understand that there are girls uh, also that carry a spirit of lust. There's no other way to explain this, but this was a spirit of lust. And how we know that is this. Part of his wife, she, she may have been a young girl actually, part of his wife lusted after him when she couldn't get what she wanted, she turned the thing around and accused him and she was quite happy to see Joseph, the handsome, the young, young guy, well built, rot in prison for about 13 years, innocent, knowing full well that she had lied. That's called wickedness. That's called, that's unfair. That's called, you're a nasty thing. That's called, this is no good. It's called a crisis. But in Genesis 39, and I love the fact that even in your crisis or misunderstanding or trial or tribulation and difficulty, the Lord is with you. You may not be able to see it, but you have to have spiritual eyes to see that God's blessing is still, even when you're in a pit, even if you're in a difficult time. 39.9, no one has as much authority as I have. He has held back nothing from me but you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now, understanding this, Joseph's brothers, if you look at the uh, Joseph's brothers, Joseph's brothers were basically criminals. If you read what they did, all the boys there, the half-brothers, and then there's Joseph, and then his younger brother, Benjamin, study the lives of their older brothers. They weren't nice people particularly. But, you know, Joseph has a different spirit. You can't find where he gets bitter. You can't find where he blames or becomes a victim. We see that God's favor hovers over him in his crisis. It's very interesting. But this is what he does. He said, I cannot sin against God. Who else said the same thing David said? He said, I've sinned against God. And, and I want to I I submit this to you as Joseph had something that I think that we all need. It's called the fear of the Lord. And when I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, I'm not talking like this, oh God, I, I'm afraid of you. No, no, no. We're talking about reverence, respect, holding the Word of God with, with uh, I told you when I was in uh, Dubai one time, I put the, well, we're up on a roof talking to some uh, uh, people from Africa about Christ and, and, uh, and stuff, and I put the Bible on the ground. And uh, Pastor Henry over there came up to me and says, oh, uh, please don't do that, Pastor. And I said, what? He said, you've got the Bible on the ground. And he said, understand we are in now an Islamic world, and they hold dearly to the Quran." And he says, they don't put the Quran on the ground. When the imams come in to speak in the, uh, the mosques, he said, they come and they hold it. He said, the, really the Quran should be about shoulder height. They esteem their book, their book, they esteem it. 
And I, I got challenged with that. So from that time on, I have never had the Bible on the ground. I haven't put it on the carpet of my house. I've always at least put it on a seat. I've held it high. But I want to I want to take I want to talk to us a little about the fear of the Lord because it's important. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginnings of wisdom, but it's also to hate evil. You will find the very thing at times, if nothing else, that stops you going up to the nightclub when you know you shouldn't be there is it offends God. Uh, you might be having a very, very tough time in your marriage. And you're right out of love and it's gone on for many, many years. And there's somebody down the road there that's handsome or she's pretty and there's a chemistry and she likes you. But the very thing, if nothing else, you couldn't go down that way because you fear the Lord. God hates divorce. You understand what I'm saying now? The fear of the Lord is a restraining influence. And one of the things is we're seeing in the Western world, in most cases, not all, there's an absence of reverence. There's an absence of respect for the holy things of God. And we can, the Bible talks about, grieve him. I know we're under the blood. I know we're in a dispensation of grace. But Paul writes clearly that we can still quench and we can still grieve the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's what we need most of all. We're needing the power of God's Holy Spirit more than ever in the life of God's people. So um, the, the way to get, the way to get, uh, the fear of the Lord is, number one, have an encounter with Him. I was in Wellington one time in my house in Garden Road, Lower Hutt, and I was praying at night time. I remember, I remember the, I was still in my pajamas, wear pajamas, and, uh, and I was praying and I was on my knees. Are you ready for this? I had an encounter with the Lord and the Holy Spirit came into my room, or the Lord came into my room. And it was one of those times, I'll never forget it, I think about it quite often, and the Holy Spirit comes in many forms. Sometimes He comes with comfort. You're in a meeting and you feel like just God loves you. You feel encouraged. You feel like nothing else matters. It's like he's got it all in control. So he comes with that package. Another package he might come in. He comes in with love that you feel absolutely loved. You feel the core of you. You don't have to strive. You don't have to prove anything. You just feel love for who you are. And another way that God can come, of course, he comes with like this confidence and this boldness and the strength. You feel like you could take a lion's head off, walk out that playground and take the lion on. You feel like that. That's another manifestation. But one of the other ones, he comes in the spirit of holiness. And that's what I received. It was so holy, I didn't see the Lord, but I felt his presence. The Bible talks about uh, uh, Joseph, uh, Joshua and Moses. The Lord speaks to both separately and says, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. Gee, God had come and walked amongst them like this. And even the ground had become holy. The Lord talks about defiled land because of people's sins. Even the land becomes defiled because of the sin of the people. But what God was saying to Moses, he said, I am who I am. He said, take off your sandals because you are now walking on holy ground. Uh, holiness isn't so much on how loud the music is or how quiet the music is. Holiness is a state. It's a reverence. It's a respect on the inside of us. The first way is an encounter. The second way I've written here is you have an encounter with his word. I read the Word of God every single day for an extended period. And in that there, and I'm reading in the Old Testament and the New, you pick up the character and the nature of God. God's holy. I notice it doesn't talk about the grace spirit or the faith spirit or the miracle spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy is the Lord. The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. He is holy. 
okay? And he makes us holy. Now, the final one is we are taught it. We are taught the fear of the Lord. I don't know if you know that so much. We're taught about the principles of God's Word. We're taught about it. We are taught to fear the Lord. And I think it's a good thing for us to stick with our children and sit down and talk about why God is righteous, God's expectations, what defilement does, what gossip does, what criticism does, how that offends the Holy Spirit, what unbelief, how unbelief is like a defiling spirit the Bible talks about. These things and what it does, it shuts down our spiritual conscience. But really God wants His people to be holy. Now we are holy. Okay, how's that? We are holy because we're under the blood of Jesus. But there's an outworking of holiness in our lifestyle. We are righteous because we're connected to Him. We are made righteous. We are the righteousness of God. But you can watch pornography tomorrow and that ain't righteous. You see what I'm saying there? But you can do a righteous act. You can give to somebody. That's a righteous act. You can be kind to somebody. That's a righteous act. And so we're to live out righteous. So God's paid for us. We walk in Him now. That's very important. So it's not a case of, oh God, you've done it for me. I'll do my own thing. No, no, no. You're supposed to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to walk in the principles of His Word. We're supposed to walk in the holiness of God, in the righteousness of God. That's talking about working your salvation out with fear and trembling. We're to walk it out. We're to walk out holiness in the things of God. I just hope that didn't go over your head this morning because that is a major profound truth right there. Okay. The next thing is this. We look at Chronicles. Uh, I'm going to throw this out because uh, we're in a bit of a teaching mode. It talks about in 2 Chronicles 26.5, this guy, Uzziah, sought God during the days of Zechariah who taught him to fear the Lord. So we see he was actually taught. You can be taught to fear the Lord. We've taught our kids, James, uh, Melody, and Zachary, as young children, to seek you first the kingdom of God and put him first. The fear of the Lord, very, very important because sometimes I don't see that around the place. I don't see that people actually reverence God and put Him as number one just by the lifestyles that we conduct. Okay, so verse 10, it says that she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Very interesting, day after day. I don't know if you've been pressurized day after day. I have been. Temptations and pressures, it keeps on coming. Isaiah says, that the enemy tries to make, or he makes the nations weak. He weakens the nations. He lays low the nations. He weakens our fortitude. He weakens who we are, pounds us, pounds us with bitterness, pounds us with bitterness, pounds us with revenge, pounds us with taking course, pounds us with taking action, pounds us with sexual lust, Pounds us with thoughts and imaginations. Pounds us with perverse thoughts. Keeps on coming. Pounds us with rejection and loneliness. And the victim mentality keeps on pounding us. Pounding us. I'm no good. I don't, I'm not worthy. There's all these things that are going. Pounds us and pounds us. That's how he works. Delilah with Samson, the Bible says that she went for Samson day after day. So now we're seeing a pattern in Scripture so Delilah with Samson came after him and pressurized him to tell the riddle that God had sort of, you know, uh, there's a miracle in there. And she pounded him. And the Bible says he gave way. He gave way. Now, let me tell you this. This is what you and I need to do. We need to be able to stand. Stand in the trial. Stand. When you would rather be angry, you stand in love. 
when you would rather thump somebody in the head, your hands are in your pocket, and you're allowing God to do something special in your heart, you have a forgiving, you are standing in forgiveness. When you would rather be greedy and go first, you stand and you allow others, you humble yourself and you allow others to go first. It's called uh, meekness, which is self or uh, strength under control. So this is the principle we have to stand. In the area of sexual impurity, it's a major, it's a major in the church. You think the world is bad, you just have to come on in New Zealand shortly and uh, I know what I'm going to be dealing with in altar calls. It's rampant in the church. It shouldn't be, but we're dealing with exactly the same things Paul the Apostle talked around in the church of Corinth. And we want the holiness of God, we want the power of God in our midst. Because it's not that God, God's not a killjoy. God doesn't decide to, hey, this is what you can't do because I want to see you suffer. There's reasons for it. And there's reasons for, for God bringing blessing around our lives like this. So anyway, day after day, he came after him. I love the fact that he stood his ground. No, I can't. He stood his ground. No, nah, that's it. No way. Uh, I've been given authority over the house. I haven't been given authority over you. No, nah, I'm not going to do this. That's good. That's, that's, that's great. And um, then we come into the next one. Uh, I want to say this, that uh, just with sexual compromise, People get touchy and a little bit funny over this one, but I think we have to tell the truth. I'm going to talk to our men this morning. If you give yourself away sexually without repenting and out putting things right, you become half the man. Seriously, you become half the man you are. You might be big, you might be wealthy, you might be influential, but you've actually lost something. Where there's sexual immorality, even for the girls, there's an insecurity that gets around the soul. We've lost our strength. And the Bible talks about men like that, valiant men, men of righteousness, men of holiness. When we don't walk in repentance and we don't walk in honor, we actually lose something. What pornography does, it strips manhood from a man. They may look, you might, you might be the most handsome guy in the world. You might have all the money and it's going to sell the tea in China. You might, be, you might be doing exceedingly well, but I tell you, you are half the person. You got on that horse. You, when you got down from that horse, you are half the man. The Bible talks clearly in Proverbs 6 about guys that are getting involved with prostitution and pornography today, today's terms and whatever it is, and it says that they are reduced. That's the key word. Sometimes when we look at Scripture, we've got to go for key phrases and key words. The men are reduced. Reduced to what? Reduced from what? reduced from their intrinsic manhood. They're reduced, they're less than what they are. But how you begin to restore your soul is walk in valiant purity. You walk in holiness. This is a message that I'm speaking here to you this morning. This message is broadcast all around the world. So many pastors and ministers and apostolic ministries and prophets and pastors and evangelists are preaching purity in the ranks because it's important for us. Because where there's, where there's uh, the impurity, you will find the demonic spirits. They infest around, what, death wishes? They infest around curses? They infest around hurt and pain and infest around that, uh, you know, uh, inner vows. But they infest around sin, unrepented sin. But here's the good news. Whether you've violated or whether you've compromised, this is the great news. The power in Christ's forgiveness is immense. It's, in, it's, um, it's almost unbelievable. It's very difficult for our minds to comprehend Christ's forgiveness. I will remember your sins no longer. 
But what it is, the idea is no longer wrangle ourselves, walk free from it. Make the decision. You're empowered as a Christian to walk completely free in this area. If I can do it, and you understand my testimony, uh, if I can walk free, and I had ministry of deliverance and so forth, if I can walk free, there's hope for you. Yes, you can. It's one of the reasons why I believe God has called me to Rarotonga is to help a lineage and a generation of people to walk in the kingdom principles of the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why I believe God has me here. One of the words of the Lord that the Lord gave me back in New Zealand Christchurch for our church was this, this church here, here, was this place will be a place of healing and restoration and many, many people will come and find their home here. So I expect the broken to come in. I've got a passion and a compassion to see lives restored. I'm like a doctor a spiritual doctor. I want to see people restored. I want to see destinies fulfilled. I want to see people marrying well. I want to see our young men and our young women making great decisions. I want to see marriages that are absolutely flourishing and they've got romance in that thing and they love each other and they're dotting over each other and they're spoiling themselves and it's all good. I want to see God come powerfully. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Matthew 5, 28. Matthew 5, 28. You notice, you notice here, she couldn't keep her eyes off Joseph. And that's the problem. This is our key. Ready for this? This is our key. Key is the eye gate. Don't look at the handsome guy at work. Just keep your eyes off him. Sure, he's handsome, but it doesn't mean we need to look. Sure, she's pretty and beautiful and the world's eyes. And, but it doesn't mean we have to look alike. It's not the next time you see here. Just, hi, uh, hi, uh, hi, Mabel. Um, what's happened to you? Oh, nothing, Matt. Just heard this message at church and I can't look and it's okay. Uh, don't touch me now. Don't just come near me and that sort of stuff. And No, no, it's not like that. Yeah, look her in the eyes, but that's it. You know, so I said you look her in the eyes. Above this here, it'd be good. So when she's going away, we're not checking her out somewhat. You know what I'm saying? Should church talk like this? Absolutely. It's been about being real. These are real issues. My goodness. Matthew 5, 28, it says this. Whoever looks at a woman to lust after her. If you've got a lust problem, you've actually got to back the wagon right up. You've got a looking problem. Pornography is just a looking problem. It's a corrupt heart, it's sin, it's wrong. Maybe unfaithful in many cases for sure, certainly to him. But it's a looking problem. It says here, she had, one of the translations that says this, the King James, I've read a different, it says she had longing eyes. What does longing eyes mean? I'll tell you what longing eyes means. I long to have a swim after the church. I long to go home and have a swim and just get freshened up and have some food and I long for it. That could be an appetite. It could be some of you might, I long to get off the island to go shopping in Auckland. I long to do that, you say. There's a like a longing. Some people longing for Christ's return. That's another message. We long for his return. Some people say, God, hold back. I want to get married first or I want to get my business first before. No, 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 mate. We, we long for his coming. We don't want to hold God's coming up. We want Him to come in the right time. We pray for His kingdom to come. 
because there's so many people suffering around the world, we want God to come in power, come in glory, and come in His glorious return through the rapture or, or so forth. We want Jesus Christ to come and return for the earth. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The focus here this morning in that scripture is it's a looking. It's a looking. Now, can I throw out some convictions for you today? Can I throw some things out? Um, uh, I'll, give you an, I'll give you an illustration. I'm quite selective with the movies that I watch, and I certainly love movies. But when they're blaspheming Jesus Christ, I switch it off. That's it for me. That's it. I'm out. You, you've lost me. I'm not listening. Because I wouldn't want my son or my father, for that reason, on the movie being blasphemed and the name being made common and made low. I wouldn't tolerate that. Would I watch a movie that basically slandered and used Armory as a swear word? He's my grandson, and I'm still watching the movie as entertainment. Oh, just look past it. <laughs> I don't see how we can do it. I want you to wrestle that with your own conscience. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm saying I don't see, I can't do that. It's offensive. It's offensive. They're blaspheming and bringing low the name of Jesus Christ, the most powerful name. It's a redemptive, healing, deliverance name. There's no other name more powerful than that. And yet, yet we're prepared to watch a movie or a set or a series because we love the series. And far be it from me that we miss one. That's for, well, I can't miss an episode, you know. And they've got their, their, their blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ. I think we need to tighten up our convictions. I think we need to tighten up. If there's no power and we're living in depression and discouragement and there's no victory, you start to have to look at some of the things we're involved with. Okay, here's the other one. Seeing somebody naked. I wouldn't watch a movie with somebody that had my daughter naked on it. Why not? Because I honor and I respect her. How could I do that? Would you do that to yours? A movie that other gawking eyes around the world and in Hollywood and seminars around the world and the globe are looking at, they've got a love scene and there's someone's making out. And if that was your daughter, would you want other people to look? The answer is probably absolutely not. But that is somebody's daughter. Or alternatively, is somebody's mother. I'm saying, guys, without purity, no man shall see the Lord. If we're going to save a nation, guess what? And you might not like this term, judgment starts in the house of the Lord. It sounds such an old thing to say, but God's, this is what, if you want to know what God is doing, I speak this prophetically. You want to know what God's doing? In here, and you can write this down, okay? This is what God is doing right now. God is coming to the church. He's cleaning the church out. That's what he's doing. What else do you think? With the COVID-19, do you think that God doesn't know? That God, oh my gosh, uh, uh, Gabriel, the archangel, Michael, let's talk about this. There's a virus that's hitting the earth. We didn't know anything about it. Did you know anything about it? God knew that the COVID, do you know what the COVID did for us, the church? It meant most of us couldn't work. But we could pray. We could read God's word. Most of us couldn't play sport. One of the biggest idols in the Western world. But we could pray. We could seek God's face. Come on now. Entertainment industry was rested. So you can always watch old-fashioned reruns. But that gets boring because you've already seen it five times. So it meant that all the things, all our idols, even money, education, universities would have closed down, 
colleges closed down, primary schools closed down. It meant, this is what I'm saying is this, I believe this, that God took advantage of the circumstance, took advantage to reline his church. That's the season we're in right now. And it's a season but a time. You know why? It's a season for two reasons. Number one, because persecution is going to come. Man, am I a doomsday prophet? It's going to come. And it's going to come through uh, government legislation. It will come. The Cook Islands going to be under so much pressure to toe the line. You better understand that. Who, who, he who has the money pulls the strings. So it's going to come from the United Nations. It's going to be legislation. All right? That's the first thing. The second thing is this. God wants to move in great power on the earth. The harvest. This is going to be the day of the harvest like we've never seen before. We're going to see celebrities get born again. We're going to see some of the hardest nuts around the world. Gangsters get saved. Testifying. Amazing. We're going to see Taliban, Al-Qaeda, people like that get born again. We're going to see, are you ready for this? Hundreds of millions of Muslims, I believe, are going to give their lives and surrender to the Messiah all around the world, hundreds of millions. We're going to see Europe have great pockets of revival. It's starting already, even though there's a lot happening in Europe that isn't good, there's a, there's a, there's a groundswell of revival. It's quite incredible. We're going to see that happen. So that's the two reasons. The first reason is this. He's cleaning out his church. It's a work of, it's a move of holiness. Then there's a move of power. Then the Lord shall return. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro or visit our website celebration.atonga.com. Until next time.